SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, welcome to NITV Radio on this Friday, the 21st of April, 2023. Coming up in your program today, we have a conversation with uh, Neil Murray, one of Australia's finest songmen, will join us to talk about the telling. He's just released the album. After three albums with the Warumpi Band and one with uh, Sammy Butcher, The Telling is his 10th original solo album and marks a recording career of four decades since the Warumpi Band released uh, their debut album in 1983. Also on NITV Radio this Friday afternoon, an Aboriginal red ochre necklace believed to be the only one of its kind in the world has been returned to Tasmania. Also in the program, well, after 30 years after Nikki Winmar's heroic stand against racism, a new roadmap has been launched that researchers hope will help those who experience racism to get the right help and support. We'll develop these stories and more after the latest news on NITV Radio, coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Friday afternoon. Bertrand Tungandami, Gaya. I'm Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972. The first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. The federal government releases the Solicitor General's legal opinion on the voice. The Victorian government raises the minimum age of criminal responsibility from 10 to 12 years of age. And in rugby league, Latro Mitchell has helped South Sydney flip the script on Penrith. Australia's second law officer has backed the government's wording for the Indigenous voice, advising it isn't just compatible, but enhances the system. Attorney General Mark Dreyfus released the Solicitor General's advice today after calls from the opposition to do so. The advice that the proposed amendment is not only compatible with the system of representative and responsible government established under the Constitution, but it enhances that system. The advice also dismisses concerns that the voice would act as a third chamber supporting the primacy of parliament. It's added that the voice would not form part of either the parliament for the executive or the executive branch. Instead, it will exist as an advisory body to those two branches of government, noting that it doesn't have the power to veto. 
Prime Minister Antony Albanese has criticised the opposition for refusing to support the Indigenous Voice to Parliament, openly dismissing their arguments. It comes after the Attorney General Mark Dreyfus released the Solicitor General's legal opinion on the voice following calls from the opposition to do so. Mr Albanese says the opposition is using the referendum to support their own political agenda. This puts to bed the absolute nonsense of Peter Dutton and Barnaby Joyce and all the nonsense that they've carried on with, saying that somehow recognising Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in our constitution will lead to Anzac Day being abolished. It is complete nonsense. Uh, They are just determined to play politics with this. Traditional custodians of Darumbal in North in Darumbal country in North Queensland have welcomed a $150 million boost to improve water quality on the Great Barrier Reef. The federal government says sediment runoff caused by land clearing and over-farming poses one of the biggest threats to reef health. Soil and slate which washes into rivers and creeks ends up in the ocean, smothering coral and killing off seagrass. Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek says the funding will be used to revegetate upstream embankments and better manage cattle grazing. By dealing with sediment, we are, of course, restoring the riverbanks and creek banks. That's good for the land. Uh, and we are protecting the reef from one of the greatest threats identified for the future of the reef. More than 600 Indigenous people serving the Australian Defence Force and a new exhibition honours those who fought for the country before them. The Serving Country exhibition has opened at the Australian National Maritime Museum in Sydney and shares the stories of Indigenous Australians who have proudly protected and served the country since the First World War. Museum Manager of Indigenous Programs, South Sea Islander and Torres Strait Island, Matt Paul, says it's important to get an understanding of the sense of family that comes with being a part of the Navy. The Victorian Greens have described the state's government the state government's plan to raise the minimum age of criminal responsibility from 10 to 12 years as a missed opportunity for national leadership. The policy, which is set to go to state cabinet next week, has been attracting backlash from Aboriginal and legal groups who want the minimum age of criminal responsibility to be raised to 14 years. State Labor representatives point out it's only a first step, adding that the option of increasing the age again in future is not off the table. Victorian Greens MP Tim Reid told the ABC it should have been an early decision since there aren't many children aged 12 to 14 who are currently in prison. Other states have larger numbers of children, most of them Indigenous, behind bars. If Victoria leads by raising the age of 14, that will put pressure on other states like WA and the Northern Territory. Aid agencies have described the situation in Sudan as beyond catastrophic as fighting between rival factions in the capital enters its sixth day. More than 300 people have been killed in the relentless conflict across the capital Khartoum and other parts of the country. The hospital system in Khartoum is on the brink of collapse with food, water and medical supplies running out as thousands try to flee the capital city. Muslim faithful around the world are preparing to mark Eid al-Fitr, an event signaling the end of Ramadan. The three-day holiday, which translates as the celebration of breaking one's fast, is marked with gatherings and the gifting of presents and money. 
Two billion Muslims around the world will celebrate Eid al-Fitr this weekend, marking the end of Ramadan. Alia Udain lives in Britain but is in Pakistan to celebrate Eid. I'm here at Mina Bazaar because Eid's coming up. Eid's on Friday and I've come here for my mendi on both hands. The women here are so talented. Um, it's a nice way to get organised and prepared for a really exciting celebration. A group of activists has stormed the offices of stock market operator Euronext in Paris as part of a protest against the recent, the recent raise in retirement age. Waving union flags, the group of a few hundred protesters invaded Euronext's lobby engulfing it in red smoke from flares. Raising the retirement age from 62 to 64 has ignited a month-long firestorms of protest across France. Hollywood actor Alec Baldwin and his lawyers say prosecutors in New Mexico plan to drop an involuntary manslaughter charge against him in the fatal 2021 shooting of a cinematographer on the set of the film Rust. Baldwin's lawyers Luke Nickers and Alex Spiro have released a statement in which they express the court's decision and encourage a proper investigation into the circumstances of what they describe as a tragic accident. Prosecutors did not immediately comment on the case. Baldwin and the film's weapons supervisor Hannah Gutierrez-Reed were both charged with involuntary, involuntary manslaughter in the shooting. Baldwin was pointing a pistol at cinematographer Helena Hutchins during a rehearsal when the gun went off, killing Hutchins and wounding director Joel Souza. Staying in the United States, the Biden administration has criticized the Florida Board of Education's approval of an expansion of what critics call the Don't Say Gay Law. The State Board of Education approved a ban on classroom instruction about sexual orientation and gender identity in all grades from kindergarten to grade 12. Previously, the ban only applied from the third grade up. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre has described the law as dystopian, saying it's already having devastating consequences in schools. Censoring our classes is not how public education is supposed to work in a free country. Conservative politicians love to complain about the so-called cancel culture, all while threatening teachers with losing their jobs if they teach something that the MAGA extremists don't agree with. President Biden believes teachers and students should not be pawns in a political game or a political stunt. We will continue to fight for students across the country to receive a world-class education, including free from discrimination and also censorship. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres has warned that current global environmental policies will become what he calls a death sentence, a death sentence by the end of the century. Mr. Guterres was addressing a virtual session of the Major Econom- Economies Forum Summit convened by U.S. President Joe Biden. We need global acceleration through cooperation, and that means rising above disagreements, differences and tensions. Geopolitical divisions must not torpedo the world's climate fight for 1.5 degrees. I have proposed to the G20 a climate solidarity pact, in which big emitters make extra efforts to cut emissions and wealthier countries support emerging economies to achieve this.
Climate advocates have criticized the United States and many other nations for responding to oil and gas shortages by increasing fossil fuel production, saying it is impossible to keep global warming to hoped-for limits while increasing drilling. This year's Climate Forum was attended by leaders of just seven nations, Brazil, Australia, Argentina, Canada, Egypt, Germany and Mexico. And back home, doctors are calling for telehealth services to be reinstated in the federal budget, saying rural patients, vulnerable people and those living with disabilities cannot access the care they deserve. The federal government removed several telehealth items from the Medicare benefits benefits schedule last year, including long phone consultations for medical specialists, specialists treating patients who have chronic, uh, complex chronic conditions. The Royal Australasian College of Physicians said the cuts were deepening disadvantage for some patients and called for the Medicare items to be reinstated in the May budget. The college's president, Jacqueline Small, says the provision of health care for patients in remote and rural areas is vital. And to sport, Latrell Mitchell has helped South Sydney flip the script on Penrith, inspiring the Rabbitohs to come from behind and beat their Premiership rivals 2018 at Accor Stadium. In a thrilling finish, the Rabbitohs trailed 18-10 with six minutes to go before Mitchell helped to breathe life back into the bunnies with a try off a Lachlan Elias kick. The win is only the South Sydney side's second over Penrith in their last 12 matches during a run that has often seen the Panthers come from behind to win matches. And now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, sunny 33, Perth, sunny 29, Adelaide, partly cloudy 21, Melbourne, a possible shower 20, Hobart, partly cloudy 20, Albury Wodonga, sunny 21, Canberra, mostly sunny 21, Wollongong, partly cloudy 21, Sydney, partly cloudy 22, Newcastle, a shower 223, Brisbane, much the same 26, Townsville, mostly sunny 29, Keynes, possible shower 30. Alice Springs, mostly sunny 24. Darwin, a shower of 2 and a top of 32 degrees. And the Torres Strait Islands, a partly cloudy day ahead and a top of 30 degrees. And that is an ITV Radio News. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. Hi, I'm Bertrand Tungandami and you're listening to NITV Radio. Coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Friday afternoon. Coming up next, uh, rare indigenous artifacts held in a U.S. museum returned to Tasmania. And 30 years after Nikki Winman's heroic stance against uh, racism, a new roadmap to combat racism has just been unveiled. But first, let's discover the telling, the latest solo album by one of Australia's finest songmen. <laughs> I'm joined by Neil Murray, one of Australia's finest songmen, to explore his latest album, The Telling. Neil Murray, first of all, congratulations on a new album and welcome to Night TV Radio. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, number 10 it is for me, for solo releases anyway, so, yeah, I put them out in the world and see what happens. I can't take them back. <laughs> 
And 10 is a, a big number, but then it also marks 40 years of an illustrious career, starting with uh, the Warumpi Band and then uh, going solo. Some are saying that this is uh, one of your best albums. How, how do you manage hit after hit? <laughs> You're very kind, but I don't really feel... Well, I guess Mile on Home was a mainstream hit after Christina Anu recorded it. I, 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 you know, but, and I, I guess songs like Black Fellow that, that we did in the Warrupee Band are kind of fairly well known. I, I feel that I've just I've never been really in the mainstream. I've been on on the fringes more, uh, which suits me. You know, I can do what I like. You know, not under any sort of pressure from uh, management or labels to kind of be a certain way. I, I was free to express myself and how I wanted to so um, that's been a blessing I think yeah, yeah well I just the songs come to me and uh, I, you know these these 10 songs are the strongest I had from the last 4 or 5 years since I've had the last album out so uh, yeah. they uh, they sort of suggested themselves to be together on this album to be released so and how would you describe this song, this album? Because I saw there are songs that are clearly protest songs, like one about uh, mining in Bururula, which is uh, really you know addressing the issue that's uh, tearing apart the community and destroying the environment there. Uh, how would you describe this album? Well, it's called the Telling, so you can you can deduce from that it means truth telling. Yeah, and so there's quite a few songs that deal with the issues relevant to, to Australia or our, this country, this nation to do with uh, issues of human rights and justice, black deaths in custody uh, indigenous you know, rights uh, uh, sad history at times but that needs to be acknowledged and accepted and um, you know, but within all that I feel there's a kind of a hope there's an there's a optimism there there's, a, there's an acknowledgement of <clears throat> past wrongs grievous wrongs, but there's also an acceptance that, well, we have to be big enough to, you know, accept all this and move forward in a way that's healing and, and positive for all. So that's kind of where I where I sit, I guess. Uh, an album with songs of protest, uh, there are songs also really uh, full of positivity, songs where you actually talk positively about uh, some aspects uh, singing uh, your Uendumu song uh, this is a song that uh, actually catches my attention my Uendumu song why that title and uh, explain to us about this one in particular <laughs> well there's a Kalia bloke in Yundamu um, a white fellow Frank Barter I think he's a, he's a Dutch ancestry he's been there for 50 years and he's quite a character quite eccentric he's well known it's accepted by all the Walpree mob, and I think it's amazing that he has lived there for 50 years because most Europeans that go and work on remote indigenous communities might last a year or two at best. Yeah. There's a high turnover of, of, of non-indigenous people that work in these places. But Frank kind of, um, you know, he's really a uh, really great supporter and has an affinity for Walpree culture, and he often he has a blog as well, and he reports on what's going on. Of course, there's been so much negative media attention of, on Yundamu lately, uh, especially since that terrible shooting that happened. And also, Frank has just recently uh, written a, a book, a biography kind of thing, called My Yundamu Story, 
And I thought, Tony Cheek, well, I'll write a song about him and about Yunnamu in a sense and call it my Yunnamu song and, it, and give a positive spin because um, Frank and other people that live in Yunnamu can't understand all the negative um, things that get written about Yunnamu because they, they feel that the, their lives are very rich there, you know. So I think it's important to put that perspective in of people that actually live in a place and they get sick and tired of being uh, misrepresented in the media. So my Unamu song is my song about Unamu as being being a place of substance. It's um, and a lot, of, a lot of history, and it's a place where people have made their lives for better or worse through the good times and the bad. They have made it their own, and um, it's home sweet home for those people. Yeah. Yeah, because it's been in the news uh, for the wrong reasons since the 2019 um, tragic, tragic, tragic uh, death of a man at the hands of a, I would say. Yes. Uh, yeah, um. yeah, well, that, that uh, terrible event, because I'm in touch with a lot of people up there, kind of fueled that other song, No Justice, as well, um, that's on the album, uh, which talks about uh, black deaths in custody and also the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah, and so that that terrible tragic event that happened at um, Yunnamu sort of spawned a couple of songs, really. Yeah. My Yunnamu song, plus it also fed into the you know, just a song I've got as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, the opening track also has uh, some uh, very, very powerful story behind it, "Broken Land." It's my attempt at an all-encompassing view how I feel about region where I originally came from where I am now, Japarong country, to any uh, indigenous person who is strong in their culture they can see and look at this land and they can see that it's broken because the traditional life was smashed here early on and uh, all the song lines and ceremony and spiritual life that was associated with this particular area has been lost I know there's a lot of people who are Retrieving a lot of things and have a strong identity of being Japaron, which is commendable. I mean, I take my hat off to them. But in terms of a traditional uh, viewpoint, this country has broken. And my great lifelong friend, Sammy Butcher, who's uh, an old fellow from Papunya, whom I went in 1980 and formed the Warranty Band with, he's been here and he's seen it. And he, he agrees, yes, it is broken, but there's still a spirit in the land here. You can feel it, but we don't have the rich cultural heritage which celebrated that what was once here. We don't have that anymore. And that's not just this area, but a lot of areas in southeastern Australia particularly were brutally dispossessed and people were forced off their land and never had a chance to kind of maintain connections that you need to to maintain that kind of intellectual treasure that goes with a patch yeah. of country that uh, you're, you've inherited through your clan or whatever. So it's acknowledging that and it's also acknowledging the wider situation in the country but also within that we carry a lot of grief for things but you have to be able to carry that and then still keep going and make the best of it. I still feel it's a song of hope but it's it, it's acknowledging the loss as well. So uh, I just it came to me very strongly when I was in Fremantle. I'd just come down the west coast from Broome in the middle of winter and it just all of a sudden came to me one night staying in a mate's place in Fremantle and um, it seemed to sum up how I felt about don't get me wrong I, I love this region where I was born and raised you know 
But having spent time in the territory with mob up there who have still got strong cultural connections to their own land, I know what's been lost here, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's it's not a... It shouldn't be an unfamiliar story to any Indigenous person, really. They would they would know what I was talking about. No, not just for Indigenous people. Everyone in Australia should know that uh, story yes, and learn about absolutely. the truth. Yeah, about, well, we're uh, all the poorer. We are yeah. all impoverished. Of yeah. wonderful intellectual treasure that's been built up over tens of thousands of years, you know. It's, it's just... It's still going on. I mean, the elders are dying every day and they're taking libraries in their heads. You know, yeah. I mean, a lot of communities out are really embracing digital technology now and trying to record a lot of stuff that once upon a time it was taboo. You could not allowed to record them. You had to be, you had to, had to learn it orally, you know, and retain it in your mind. That was the traditional way things were imparted. But now people are, you know, desperately trying to, you know, retain as much as they can. So they've started to record things that. that Perhaps previously uh, would not have been able to. And uh, the making of this uh, album, well, mixed in Sydney, and then um, contains some of um, tracks uh, recorded in Melbourne and mixed in Sydney. You also have some collabs uh, in uh, this, uh, in the making of this album. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, how you worked among uh, other people with uh, uh, Jack Green? <clears throat> yeah, Jack Green's a traditional owner from the Borrelula area, specifically on that um, MacArthur River. And I was in Darwin in 2021, and um, somehow his people got in touch with me, and the message was Jack Green wants to wants to see me. He reckons I can write a song because he's been campaigning for quite a while to get some control back on on the devastating MacArthur River mine. And, and so I went to meet him, and, uh, you know, he told me the story. Everything that's in that song, all the lyrics, is just what he told me. And I said to him, I said, well, you know, I, I can't promise I can do anything, but I'll, I'll have a go, you know. And he, did, he seemed to have great conviction in me that I could come up with something. Because, you know, he said, oh, we, we want to do a documentary and stuff. And he also sang me a couple of uh, a traditional song, you know, uh, from the area, mentioning the four place names that I use in that song. And and I said to him, I said, that's fantastic, you've got that. Nothing I can do can come near that, you know. He said, oh, no, we got that, but we want you to do it in English, you know, so people know the story. So so I went away for a couple of days and I thought about it and I'd be blown if I didn't get an idea on the guitar. So I, I knocked it out quickly and I recorded it on my phone and, I, and then I sent it to Jack. And I didn't hear anything for a couple of days, and I got a bit worried. I thought, geez, maybe he doesn't like it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I rang him up. I said, Jack, nearly. Yeah. I said, did you get that song? He said, that bastard, I haven't been able to stop listening to that. How would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I said, just from what you told me. <laughs> so he was real pleased with it, you know. Yeah, 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 As it says in the lyric, he said, you know, the, the elders 40-odd years ago didn't know what they were signing, didn't realise that the miners were going to shift the river, divert the river so they could actually dig in the riverbed. And it's a rainbow serpent, you know, and he said, it's not to be disturbed. What do they do? They dig right down and they dig up these rocks, which is the rainbow serpent's guts, and brought them up to the air. And, of course, these rocks give off toxic fumes and people get sick and stuff. 
And, you know, it's not supposed to be up in the air. It's supposed to be down in his body where it belongs, he says, you know. And all this. Yeah. So, you know, it's been shown time and time again that what people consider to be, you know, grooming stories, you know, they're not they're not just myths. They're based, but they're based on actual realities that people know about the land, you know, and, um, you know, you can't, you can't ignore them. Ignore them at your peril because... They've got, you know, there's a truth in there that you can't deny. If you've spent, you know, 70,000 odd years of human experience in a land, there's an acquired wisdom there, you know, from observations over a millennia that you can't ignore, you know. So I have, I have the greatest respect for Indigenous knowledge, and a lot of that knowledge was encapsulated in dreaming uh, song lines and stories and all that. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, definitely want to listen to a very beautiful album. A lot of praise from uh, all those who have had a chance to listen to the songs and who know about this uh, album, The Telling. Now, you are also now embarking on a nationwide tour to promote it with your band. Uh, tell us about uh, the next legs of this uh, tour. I've got two more band shows this month. There's one in Melbourne at the Northcote Social Club on Sunday, a matinee show, starts about 1, yeah. 1 p.m. And then on the 28th, I'm doing a show at Birago with a band, and after that I'm basically going off solo because it, it's just not cost-effective to carry a band around, and all these guys have got jobs, or they've got playing another band. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm making a bit of a splash at the moment with the band, and then I'm just going to be... Uh, I sort of drift north in the winter and... and uh, you know, have occasional gigs so I can get around and um, and do shows. But, you know, I'll be going to up to Queensland, into Alice Springs and up to Fitzroy Crossing with a festival there in mid-July. Then I usually go to Broome once a year and I do a show with Stephen Pigram. And then I'll go to Darwin. And I might be able to put a little bit of a band from just musos I know in Darwin to do a show there about the end of July. And then I'm going across to far north Queensland and... Uh, I'll probably drift down back down after that in spring in September. Yeah. Wow, it's a few months of uh, really uh, hectic <laughs> travelling and uh, yeah. Look, it isn't that hectic, really. There's yeah. plenty of time. It's, it's it's kind of a lifestyle choice. It's yeah. transcontinental drifting with the, the occasional gig. <laughs> and really reconnecting, most definitely reconnecting with friends and uh, oh, absolutely, like, you yeah, know, yeah. family and friends in the territory and and also in Hindley. So yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just something I do every winter. I, I kind of migrate for a while, go go north, yeah. and then return in the spring. Yeah. Mm. Now, Neil Murray, before we part, any final thoughts uh, before we part? The songs are out there. I, I I think that, you know, for most people, there's probably a song or two on the album that, that will touch them, you know, and uh, I hope people, hope people listen to it, you know, hope they buy it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all we can go on, really, that... Uh, people can uh, find something in it of merit. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. And after almost 200 years, a significant Tasmanian Aboriginal ancestral object has returned to the state for a new exhibition. The necklace is on loan from a museum in the United States for the next two years, but it is hoped it can remain in Tasmania for good. Alan Lee has the story. It is such a precious thing to get this belonging, our ancestral belonging, back. 
An Aboriginal red ochre necklace, believed to be the only one of its kind in the world, has been returned to Tasmania. That return has been a long time coming. Parkana artist Andrew Gall says it's hard to express how important he feels the necklace is. You go to bed at night, you have faith you're going to wake up in the morning and breathe. That's how important those ancestral objects and belongings are to us. This is culture that's been taken away and it's not in its place. And when it's taken, its journey has ended. It might travel around the world, but its journey has stopped until it comes back home. It's been away from country for almost 200 years, but arrived back in Tasmania this weekend from Chicago's Field Museum. The necklace is now on display in the Tasmanian Museum and Art Gallery in Hobart, where Mary Mulcahy is the director. I know that it was in London in 1834. Um, the Field Museum acquired it in 1957 um, when they acquired um, a collection from a British collector of about, I think, it's, I think it might have been seven to 9,000 objects. About 93 of those were Tasmanian Aboriginal objects, including the necklace. Um, so the necklace um, hasn't been on display at the Field Museum as far as we're aware. It's part of an exhibition at the Tasmanian Museum and Art Gallery where the works of 20 Tasmanian Aboriginal artists sit beside artefacts normally held in museums off-country. Andrew Gall has created a kangaroo skin necklace to sit alongside the original, which is thought to have been made from plant fibre. His necklace contains a breastplate his way of indicating the original was held against its will. The original is on loan for the next two years, but Mr Gall hopes it can remain long-term. We've got two years to change their minds, and um, yeah, nothing's ever fixed. Nothing in this world is a rock-solid. Even our mountains move, so we can move a mountain and get this thing to stay. Mary Mulcahy agrees. One of the reasons to borrow the objects for two years was for that potential, as Andrew mentioned, to start the conversations with institutions like the Field Museum to see if they would be amenable to repatriating them back to Australia and back to Tasmania. So that's a conversation and it's an, an opener of a conversation. It's also hoped non-destructive methods like MRI scans can be used to learn more about how the necklace was made. Alan Lee. SBS News. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. Now, racism has been an issue in Australia's sporting and local communities for some time. Now, a road, new roadmap has been launched that researchers hope will help those who experience racism to get the right help and support. Deborah Grok reports. In April 1993, Nicky Winmar famously lifted his jumper and pointed to his skin at an AFL match between St Kilda and the Magpies. Collingwood fans had been hurling racist abuse at him and Indigenous teammate Gilbert McAdam, and Winmar wanted to take a stand. This year, the Collingwood Football Club has finally and formally said sorry. An apology Mr Winmar says he was happy to receive. It's a good day. I'm very emotional about it. I've had a few tears, but the sun turned up today, Tyner. It's only a baby back in those days, but... 
The iconic picture taken of Winmar pointing to his chest on the field has become a symbol for Indigenous players in the AFL 30 years later, with racist incidents still happening with alarming frequency. Lions forward Charlie Cameron is one of four Indigenous players to have been abused in this year's gather round, while football fans still have sharp memories of Sydney Swans legend Adam Goods being verbally attacked on a regular basis during his time on the field. The Australian Football League has admitted it did nothing to support goods at the height of the abuse, but current AFL chief Gillam McLaughlin says the code is now doing what it can to address racism. I think it offends 99.99% of all football followers, all Australians. The more our football community owns this, hunts people out, holds people to account, the better. Away from the football field, local communities are also trying to come to terms with racism. Anaz Janif is a Melbourne resident and board member of Victoria's Islamic Council. She says racism has been a part of her life since she was a child. It can be subtle and it can be, you know, right in your face. For example, either my myself or people I know have things shouted at us. It might lead to employment being denied because of the way we dress. That actually has happened to myself. Um, It it also has led to people I know and I've witnessed uh, physical attacks to to Muslim women who are identifiably Muslim, often with their children. It also has led to um, hijabs being torn off women in public friends who have had their cars driven off the road with their children in the vehicle. Some researchers have tried to quantify the extent of racist attacks and attitudes in Australia. A 2021 scoping report from the National Human Rights Commission suggested comprehensive national data was lacking. A new survey led by Dr Mario Poika from Victoria University is among the local studies to shed some light, focusing on the experiences of residents in the cities of Casey and Greater Dandenong in southeast Melbourne, where nearly two-thirds of residents were born overseas and more than 200 languages are spoken. And it suggests microaggressions, insults and unfair treatment are being widely experienced at work, when out shopping or in school. I can say that it's uh, in our in our survey finding 62% had experienced racism in the last 12 months. There's a lot of complexity behind this number because many people don't recognize racism. They, some people have a very different concept of race, what racism encompasses. Some people from the same communities, for the same community background, for example, say that we experience racism a hundred times every single day. And another person who is in a very similar situation at least from from the outside, seemingly, they say they have never experienced racism. The survey is part of a wider report and anti-racism strategy from the university. The third report is prepared for local councils in Melbourne. Dr Poika says four out of five people didn't report racist incidents because of language barriers, felt it would not change anything, or because they simply didn't know where to turn. He hopes the roadmap will help people in those circumstances. The roadmap is um, a tailored um, set of recommendations that is based on the the input and the suggestions and uh, the guidance from communities in the local area um, who shared with us how 
anti-racism support structures should be improved in Casey and Greater Dandenong. For Inaz Janif, who is a resident of Casey, the report's very existence is a good sign. As somebody who's grown up in the area, it's really heartwarming to see that this issue is important to our leadership and that hopefully these issues will be addressed so that any, any person can get the support they need um, and hopefully decrease these incidents. That kind of change appears to be happening in some communities. A survey called Being Chinese in Australia from the Lowy Institute has found fewer Chinese Australians reported being called offensive names or physically threatened and attacked because of their heritage in the last 12 months. Research fellow Dr Jennifer Sue. The overall confidence or trust in Australia to do the right thing in the world is very high. Three quarters of Chinese Australians believe that to be so. There's been increasing levels of sense of belonging to Australia, to the local community, and if we take this as a whole, also trust in Australia. Work is already underway at the Human Rights Commission on a national anti-racism strategy, and Victoria University researchers are developing another anti-racism roadmap that it hopes will spark more progress across the state. Dr Poikas says its collaboration with the Department of Health, the Ethnic Communities Council and Islamic Council will identify reporting barriers and support needs for people experiencing racism across Victoria. When we work with communities, we build that hope that things can be different and we, we feel sort of obliged, also morally obliged to uh, do whatever we can to to, to make sure that there's real change on the on the ground. But it's possible that race, anti-racism work can be more than symbolic condemnation of racism, but can be actually really effective. Deborah Grok, SBS News. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. And uh, that's all for NITV Radio for this uh, Friday afternoon. Bertrand Tungendami, uh, I'm Bertrand Tungendami, thanking you for staying with us this Friday afternoon and also wishing you an excellent and uh, safe weekend. Till next time, bye for now. Yalu.